Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 165, with Angelique Albert from the Native Forward Scholars Fund. Great organization, uh, just released a new study uh, focusing on college affordability for Indigenous students. So we talk all about that study, uh, that report, and uh, kind of the issue at hand, sort of uh, more generally. So uh, great conversation. Uh, Angelique shared some great resources to check out as well. Uh, just really appreciate her, her time, all that she shared, and uh, her hard work uh, with her team uh, showing up every day to support Indigenous college students. So as always, uh, please do fill out our listener survey if you've not already. Check out the merch store to help support the show. Uh, and without further ado, this is episode number 165 with Angelique Albert. I am very excited to be here today to have a conversation that's on a little bit of a different topic than what we usually cover, but I'm so grateful for the opportunity to uh, deep dive on something that is a uh, very important, uh, recently released national study on college affordability uh, for Indigenous students. So um, it's coming out of uh, organization Native Forward. So we'll get right into it and start out as we always do, though, uh, with introductions, have our guests introduce themselves and give a brief overview of their professional background and how they got to be where they are today. Nice. Well, thank you, Dustin, for having me. Uh, my name is Angelique Albert. I am the CEO of Native Forward Scholars Fund. My background is that I'm a member of the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes from Northwest Montana. I grew up on the Flathead Indian Reservation there. I uh, attended um, a TCU, which is a tribal college and university, uh, Salish Kootenai College, for my undergraduate degrees and then went on to get my graduate degree from Gonzaga University. Uh, my career has always been in service to Native people, either at a tribal level or a national level. Primarily, I've worked in the nonprofit space and education, but I've also worked in business, government, and philanthropy. Um, I'm, I'm very passionate about higher education, empowerment of our people, and um, found that the nonprofit space is, is where I, I get the most um, enjoyment. And, um, but education for me is really key to social justice, equity, and economic mobility for us as Native people. But I also believe that uh, education is an actionable step that we can take. I think that oftentimes when you hear about disparities in Indian country, um, it, we, we hear about those disparities, but education is a step that we can take towards reducing disparities. I know through my personal challenges that I've gone through in my life, you know, education was the, was that place and that thing that I could do to kind of take that step forward. And it, it wasn't something actionable. So, um, I'm very happy that my educational experience led me to Native Forward Scholars Fund because, I feel like um, I'm, I'm truly doing the work that I'm meant to be doing in this world. So, and thank you for having me here today. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for, for joining us here and uh, doing this good work. And yeah, I mean, that's something for me where, yeah, education, while it has so much kind of intricacies and complexities and, you know, that challenge is almost kind of part of the uh, appeal of it and the fulfillment of, you know, figuring out that and, like you said, really kind of having a clear impact on improving people's lives through uh, education. So um, just for uh, context, though, for folks, uh, so if you want to explain a little bit about the work that Native Forward does, so 
um, we have that before we kind of move on to talk more about the um, study that you all did. Sure. Native Forward Scholars Fund is the oldest and largest scholarship provider to Native students in the country. We've been doing this work for about 53 years. During that time, we've been able to empower over 20,000 Native scholars from over 500 tribes in all 50 states. Uh, we fund students who are pursuing undergraduate, graduate, and professional degrees in any field of study from any accredited institution. Um, we are proud that we've worked with over 1,700 institutions in this country. Um, we award about 11, between anywhere between 11 million and 15 million in direct scholarship dollars to students annually, and then about 350 million since our inception. Um, but even with the amount of funding that we give to students, we're only able to provide um, scholarships to 18% of the students who, who apply through us. So that leaves a pretty significant funding gap. Um, I'll say that our alumni include some of the most influential Native leaders in the country, including the Secretary of Interior, Deb Holland, mm. um, Cynthia Lamar, who is the director of the Smithsonian's National Museum of American Indian, and then also um, Fawn Sharp, who is the president of NCAI. And, and like I said, we have 20,000 scholars. So, And they're all out there doing phenomenal work. Beyond the direct scholarships that we give, we also have uh, wraparound services. And this for us is our secret sauce to, to getting our graduation rates up so high is um, we have an individual person who is assigned to every student to help them navigate their college experience. And then we also do additional programming, such as mentorship, and we do workshops and trainings and leadership programming and just have a full a year of different like events and, and programming for, for our students. Um, and then I'll say in the most recent years, we're proud to have been able to increase our programming and tailor it to what the students are saying that they need from us. So um, in the past couple of years, we've been able to, to create funding around doctoral research, professional development, testing fees and certifications and, and paying for those type of things. But also we've established a student emergency fund that allowed us to respond to COVID needs, housing needs, food insecurity and technology needs. Um, so those are kind of the things that we do. And then, and then lastly, um, we see ourselves as um, advocates for um, Native students. So really looking at creating more visibility for our students and, and to, we work with institutions across the United States to help them become more culturally competent so that our students can be successful in, in higher education. Yeah, that's, that's really great to hear to sort of all those ways that you work with students because that, you know, it kind of makes me think we're like, those are just like the struggles for any student, but then sort of, like you said, kind of contouring and kind of uh, manifesting in kind of the unique, you know, sort of environments and circumstances that uh, Indigenous students face and, um, you know, finances is one big portion, but then there's just all those other things, especially for first generation students of just navigating the, you know, very uh, elaborate kind of systems and structures of uh, any college or university. So I've seen uh, programs like this in other contexts just be so impactful and having that person that's kind of, uh, you know, being that mentor, looking out for you, providing that guidance and, um, and then, yeah, just kind of uh, giving whatever is needed uh, for students and um, really adapting that way. But I mean, 
this this report, I know, like, you know, affordability financing for students is, I think, definitely one of those, you know, common roadblocks. And um, it can really show up in some of those ways, like you said, of just like paying for a certification fee where it's just like, yeah, you know, I've, I've got a really tight budget, but this is something that I really need. And, you know, covering even that, you know, relative to maybe other things like a, a small expense, but it has a huge impact. So, you know, I know that's uh, part of what this national study that you uh, uh, are releasing kind of is, is talking about is just sort of college affordability for uh, indigenous students. So I guess to start, we can kind of like do this kind of in multi parts because I, I think it is obviously a lot here. But, you know, if you want to just explain maybe like, you know, why you kind of went on this endeavor to uh, conduct this study and release it and everything, and then we'll get into uh, sort of the highlights of it. Sure. I think for us, you know, as the four, we have four um, national native scholarship providers who collaborated in this effort. And it was truly to um, create voice and visibility for our native students. Um, the, the, the study is really unprecedented and it, it's, it's the first of its kind to really explore college affordability and um, how that affects native students. It's, it's likely one of the largest data sets of its kind um, and that um, this collaboration was between you know, the four large national Native scholarship providers. So first of all, it was us as scholarship providers wanting to collaborate and really create more voice and visibility for our Native students. That's an interesting part of it is like, maybe like none of you could could have gone it alone, you know, and like finding where it's like, hey, we could really do something, you know, big if we, you know, pulled our, our resources together and, you know, uh, those sort of things. Was that like kind of part of it is just being like, you know, if you or anybody else like kind of had the idea, but maybe we're sort of not sure how to best go about it and just like it, you know, really being possible when you all kind of were able to, to work together towards it? Absolutely. We are always stronger when we're together and we're all serving Native students in this country. But also there there is a, an, I guess, a large concern for us as Native people is that we are always othered. We are always something else. We are always the asterisks. So when you look at Native research in this country, um, it's very limited. So we wanted to create a baseline of data that, you know, when we're looking for it, it's it's difficult to find. But also we wanted to have um, Indigenous research from from Indigenous people. So, so it's for native-led organizations, but also native researchers and also native students. So, so we surveyed our students and our um, previous and current students. We did interviews with our students. So we feel like this is truly um, native research from our perspective and um, done by native people. So I think that there's uh, different ways different things to consider. It's making sure that our students have visibility when we're oftentimes not represented. And so that's a big part of it. But also, absolutely, you know, when we pull our student bases, um, that's a lot stronger information than if one of us were to do it alone. So it just seemed like a natural collaboration. We advocate for our students in other ways. So it just seemed like a, a, a natural thing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, just like a, you know, 
outside of all this, just like always love like kind of just good anecdotes like that of just sort of like, you know, the great things that can happen, you know, when you bring a lot of great minds and, you know, people together to collaborate and, you know, um, really being like intentional about everything. And yeah, like kind of getting as kind of representative of a group as possible through, you know, this whole network of folks that contributed to this. But um, so to focus on the kind of findings of the report itself, um, you know, we'll, we'll link out uh, in the description show notes for this episode so folks can read the whole thing themselves. But if you kind of want to tease and maybe sort of the high level uh, highlights of the report that you think are really notable, um, and then we'll kind of dig in deeper from there. Sure. I think that the the primary um, finding for this is that the the main obstacle for college completion is affordability mm-hmm. and um, causing overall student attrition. So, and also when you look at um, the completion rates for our students, they're looking like thirty six percent of our students who are entering a four year college will complete in six years compared to sixty percent of of all other students. So. This is kind of something we all know as scholarship providers that um, that the main obstacle is that that funding. But like you said, when you dig into the study, it really you truly get a, a feel of the college going experience from a native perspective and some of the the challenges that they're going through. But that is the thing that we've known for years. But it's nice now to have it quantified and to have the data to back it up. It's just um, College affordability is is it's uh it's the main obstacle. Yeah, and I mean, uh, as much as you know, kind of what you're explaining before, where it's like you know maybe helping with uh, incidental cost or having that emergency fund, like all those things are uh, important. But then it is sort of like you know, tuition is very expensive. It's 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 too expensive, and that there's not really been uh, large scale efforts through you know. Uh, state funding or federal funding, you know, to, to address that really. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's something where, again, like you are able to kind of highlight the, uh, experiences of indigenous students with this issue that impacts all students. So, you know, it, like you said, sort of affirms something that a lot of people would probably be, uh, able to articulate anecdotally, but really adds a lot of that shape to what these particular students are experiencing and, uh, you know, what, what, again, you can kind of contour maybe to, to their, uh, needs and everything. But, um, and I think, yeah, just that idea where like, I've been thinking a lot about over these past couple of years, because there's like different organizations out there that are really earnestly trying to address that, you know, stop out student problem where there's all these students out there that, um, have some credits, but no degree. And then, uh, potentially a lot of debt to go along with it. So, um, I think that, just really adds to it of, again, like sort of the transformative power we know for education, but that so many people have almost gotten like really the like lose, lose scenario where like, you know, certainly the, the, the learning that you gained, you know, is valuable and important, but like to get jobs and stuff, like, unfortunately you just need that credential. That's what's going to translate and get you towards, you know, uh, whatever kind of goals you have, you know, more gainful employment and everything. So, um, you know, and I guess just like one kind of brief follow up, because I think like, you know, knowing that, you know, objectively, you know, affordability is this, uh, you know, really predominant issue for indigenous students. Was there anything surprising to you about like 
maybe the extent of it or the shape that it took or just anything like with this study, you know, something that was really kind of uh, surprising since like, you know, you, you mentioned that it kind of affirmed something that you suspected, but was there anything to these findings that surprised you? Yeah, I, I would say that um, the thing that stood out to me is when you put all of the the data points together, you do get that that experience of, of what our Native students are going through. You get a strong sense that there's a family responsibility. There's a responsibility not only to provide your um, cost of attendance, but also to provide income for your family. And it really, the, the study goes into income levels, you know, at 20,000 20, a year and 30,000 a year. And our students are trying to um, provide core basic needs at, as well as cost of attendance. And that you, you brought it up, it, it, it results in, in debt accrual. And, and this study goes into what types of debt and how much debt. And, and it's, it's unnerving that it's, it's not just student loans that they're getting. It's, you know, uh, credit card debt and, and personal debt and personal loans. And, and, um, and also goes into the amounts that our students are, are, are taking. So, um, it, the thing that struck me about it that was surprising to me is that this is the same experience I went through 25 years ago when I was going to college. You know, I was providing for my family and trying to get the core basic needs while trying to go to school and having such a low income. Um, it, it was surprising to me that we're sitting here 25 years later and our students are going through the same exact thing. So, um, the other things that kind of stood out um, was that just the rate at which students are uh, running out of money is extremely high. Seventy-two uh, percent of our students run out of money within this, you know, every six months, and then fifty percent are experiencing food insecurity. And the one that hit kind of hard was the sixteen um, percent are experiencing homelessness. Mm. So I know from you know working with students that you know I have a, a student who. Um, made the decision to 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 live in their car just so that they could afford tuition and and all of that and and so I knew that to be a rare case but I didn't realize that it was sixteen percent so um, so you really get a, a feel of of um, of the how extreme the the situation is when you look at the numbers well and I think too like you know it's good to kind of capture I think at this moment in time too where I think like you know we are sort of quote unquote post COVID, but you know, still around as of the recording of this episode, but mm -hmm. um, sort of, you know, there was so much that kind of, you know, through these turbulent times, like, you know, it exacerbated problems, but then like for me as the eternal optimist, like it really showed us what was possible when we were using those sort of levers of, you know, state and federal funding to kind of give resources to people to, you know, provide healthcare, provide, even modest sort of like, you know, the, the stimulus checks and everything kind of like, you know, that is sort of a form of like universal basic income. Like if you met parameters, like you just got money, like here you go and, you know, use it to buy whatever you need. There's really no stipulations on it. And then, you know, uh, you know, I, I know some places were like utilizing hotels that were just vacant to just like, let's just put people, you know, in shelter, like, you know, yes. and, and just seeing, you know, where we can provide hotspots and computers and like all this stuff where it's just like, that's one of my takeaways where it's like, okay, so like any of the naysayers who thinks that, you know, it's not possible, like we can do stuff like this 
when we just garner the willpower to commit and follow through and do it. And then just like, you know, I, I've been saying this a lot to people too. It's just kind of like, you know, and it might seem like silly to people, but like use our imagination, you know, like let's get creative and figure out like what is going to be, you know, an effective way to do this, you know, and just imagine what's possible. Cause I think sometimes like, you know, into the, the kind of dry idea of like, you know, legislation and all that. It's like, Hey, let's use our imagination here, guys. Let's let, you know, cause I think like sometimes we get tunnel vision where it's like, Oh, it's just this, like that's, you know, it's either this or nothing. And it's like, maybe or we could think through like how can we get money to people or get resources to people so that they can have what they need and not need to worry so much about kind of what you were detailing you know like family obligations and you know housing and food and you know all this stuff where it's like something else is like going to college should be kind of like this equalizing factor in the sense of like if you're able to get to campus it's like they've got a health center they've got you know like a computer lab they've got all this stuff but then like they're only able to kind of get their head above water. You know, these students that are struggling, you know, with college affordability, like they can get their head above water just ever so briefly, but then it's like, they just drown under everything else where like it's, they can't even like take advantage of all these, you know, supports and stuff. Um, like you said, like, you know, with a good chunk of students that are just sort of, you know, running out of money after a pretty short period of time. So yeah, it's just tough, but I think like, I, I stay optimistic about this and I don't know how it sort of strikes you, but just sort of like the idea where it's like in very recent, you know, memory, we were able to do really large scale supports for people all over this country to, you know, address a lot of those basic needs. So it's like, okay, like how do we figure out how to do this again? Absolutely. And, and I feel you on that. I feel like the, um, the one thing that we're taking personally from this study is, um, to, to take the data and, and put it to use in an effective way. So just to give you an example, when we were looking at the amount of debt that the students are taking on, 52% of the students are taking $5,000 or less. So for us at Native Forward, our scholarships start at $2,500 and, and then go up from there. But that gives us a goal to say, oh, if we could get it up to $5,000, we can reduce the debt of 50% of these students, if we could get that scholarship, that minimum scholarship up to, to, to 5,000. So, um, so, so that kind of helps inform us on how we can actually use the, the, the information in an effective way that, that, you know, can impact our students in a, we can kind of start to move the needle on some of these numbers. So I think it is just having, having the knowledge to be able to know um, the best ways to serve our students. So I'm with you on that. Um, I think that it's important that we we figure out ways to um, effectively serve serve our students and and make it so they don't have to take on so much debt. You know, I'm kind of the I guess pragmatist as well of just sort of like you know don't have perfect get in the way of good. You know, and like mm -hmm. how sometimes they support programs if it's like okay, there's going to be like income restrictions and it's only a certain amount. You know, we've seen that with. Uh, you know, as of the recording of this episode, recently announced uh, student debt loan relief, where you know it's a very targeted effort, and certainly some people are saying, you know, well, it should have been more than that, but they're sort of using kind of the levers that they had to do something. Um, but you know, I think we've seen that in a lot of different ways as well, just sort of like kind of a, a, a compromise to at least like get something done. But yeah, I mean, it, it is like just realizing where it's like, wow, if we can kind of address that funding gap that these students have, and that you know could have a huge impact. And I think it makes me think too of where, 
you know, things like Pell Grants have just like, you know, been languishing in terms of their, you know, the amount that they actually cover in terms of the cost of attendance for students and just like how portable they can be in terms of like what they can be used for in terms of just like now all the different educational opportunities that students can partake in, you know, whether it's just different like short courses or boot camps or certificates or, you know, uh, all these sort of things. So as we're kind of winding down, like all this that we've kind of talked about, like, you know, I think we've sort of proposed uh, maybe some some different uh, sort of solutions or, you know, maybe already like we know kind of what works and we just need to kind of fund it more, sort of, you know, spread it out. But like, what do you hope comes of this research for folks that, you know, read it and, you know, that it's kind of been out in the world and stuff. So yeah, what do you, what do you hope comes of all of this? I hope that people take the research that they that they they read it that they utilize it in a way that serves our students. Um, I know that I I talked a lot about the the challenges and disparities, but in the report you always you you also get a view of like what are those primary indicators of success and and you know it goes into that as well. So when you talk about the top three indicators of of success for our students are you know having a cultural experience as part integrated into the higher ed experience, um, understanding budgeting. And to your point you brought up earlier, did your parents go to college? So it talks about these are the three indicators of persistence and success for our students. So um, what can we be doing, I guess, utilizing that in a meaningful way, as well as some of those other dating uh, data points. And um, I, I feel like there's something in this research for anyone um, in higher education, anyone who is serving Native students in education, period. Um, for high schoolers, you could be ensuring that they understand financial literacy. You know, if you're working for a university, you know, making sure that you have culturally, you know, cultural, culturally competent curriculum and professors on staff, you can um, take, take action to reduce the um, debt or to implement tuition tuition waivers for Native students. And I think there's so much that um, anyone who's interested in, in serving Native communities can take and um, utilize the data. Um, if you're in philanthropy and, and you, you can see where, where the needs are, so you can use that to really guide what you're doing and how you're serving Native students. So basically, please read read the research, uh, use the research, and 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 better serve our, our native students. Yeah. Well, I almost like just the, the simplicity of that, of just sort of like, use this to help students, please. Like, cause it could be like getting into the interest, you know, of like, well, I, I hope that uh, Congress can pass this. Like what well, it's like, yes, that like, that is an example of just sort of the core tenets of like, let's, you know, not be quiet about this. Let's get this out there, keep it top of mind and use it to better uh, the lives of indigenous students so um love it uh so you know on this topic if there's any resources from uh native forward or uh, anywhere else that you'd want to share um stuff that's relevant to this topic stuff that's grabbing your attention um yeah just kind of i'll give you the opportunity to, to share those out now so that we can uh, put them in these show notes absolutely so for us as the national native scholarship providers we have native forward scholars fund we have resources on our website there's american indian college fund um American Indian Science and Engineering Society, as well as IEI, Indigenous Education um, 
organization. So there's the four of us. So please visit our website. We, we have a ton of resources for students and uh, people wanting to, to get involved. Um, I will say um, if you're interested in um, knowing of what's going on in Indian country, um, Indian country today is a great resource just to know what is going on currently in Indian country. Um, I, I would love to, to make a recommendation for books. You know, Joy Harjo is just a, a beautiful um, poet. And, and then Winona LaDuke is an amazing author um, that really, you know, focuses on um, the economy, natural resources. And for us as Native people, I think it's important to always keep that top of mind I know with um, a lot of our STEM funding, we, we provide support to Native students who are in um, env environmental sciences and in that. So I would encourage anyone to reach out to our four organizations and, um, and, and to just whenever you're considering including Native people to, to reach out and, and ask us to join, join in the conversation like you are today. I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good stuff. So um, then we will end now with our uh, closing questions we always like to wrap up with. I think we've had uh, a lot of great sort of final thought worthy uh, things shared already, but um, just, yeah, whatever's kind of, you know, sitting with you here as we uh, end the episode, whatever final thought or call to action on this topic that you want to share to uh, wrap everything up. I would say that, um, Again, like this, this research was done because we have historically been othered. We have always been the asterisk. So um, this is the baseline. This is the baseline. And we as the National Native Scholarship Providers intend on um, utilizing this information to, provo to promote kind of a more effective practices for our students, but also to do additional research and continue to kind of... Um, share the information. It's really about serving our Native students in an effective way. So the call to action is, is for, we're ask, asking all institutions of higher ed, anyone who is serving Native students or wants to serve Native students to please um, embrace this Native Indigenous research, uh, to embrace it, to implement it, and to, um, to, to look at our recommendations and, and implement that. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's a great place to end the conversation here. And um, as always, we'll have ways to connect with our guests and their uh, work in the show notes and uh, everything that we mentioned. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just so grateful for this opportunity to sort of uh, signal boost what you all are doing in this report. And uh, yeah, just thank you so much for, for taking the time and sharing all that you did. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.